Welcome back to What Have You. I am Rachel Jankovic. I'm Becca Merkel. And we're squeaking this thing on in. Yeah, we're we're doing a whole new location right now. Making it happen we're by the in motel. A parking lot behind New St. Andrews. By the Monarch Motel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In view of the grain elevators and by Richard's Fade Shop. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yep. That's where we are. I was about to get into a whole discussion of Richard's fonts, but I think I won't. Yeah, we can leave Richard's font choices to (laughs) another episode. We'll dig in on another episode, so stay tuned. (laughs) Oh, Rachel's on a tight schedule. I am. I'm in between uh, classes. I am on fall break. Yeah, in a weird twist of fate, so I'm doing the master's program at NSA and uh, in creative writing and the their one week intensive it's it's a low residency program so lots of reading and writing when you're not in the classes and then one week of all day classes and magically this this week of classes aligned with my children's week off of classes right which yeah. is really subpar yeah it is subpar. to be like you guys have a good break you know while we're talking about i won't this, be though, with you we should recommend the there's another master's that nsa oh, offers yeah, yeah. that is um the ccu right no no i can't say these it's things. about i know this is why i haven't said it before the ccu is the organization we revoked our membership right back out of shoot what's it called ccs there we go there we go ccs program and it's um basically like if you're a teacher at a classical school and you want to get a degree in that and so some people have done it as like a homeschooling mom it's Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna be responsible for educating these little peanuts and so i'm gonna i better get take some lessons here and it's one that you can do from uh, distance and then they have these the kind of like with intensive weeks yeah but not I don't think they're as often as the MFA program don't you have it, a it's week a different every... schedule I think it's in more years than the MFA yeah but it's also I think the MFA. I think it's an intensive in the summer as opposed uh-huh. to maybe you have to do it once a quarter anyway all I'm saying is guys check it out it's it's a master's degree if you're interested in doing that yeah. from afar you actually there are a couple of options yeah, so so far I'm remembering this year we have I'm in a poetry class and it is giving me the feeling that I remembered that oh yeah, I love poetry. I always have loved poetry. And, I think we talked about and, poetry um, quite a lot last week, didn't we? I think we kinda which did. poetry did we talk about? I don't about? know, I think we just discussed it in general. We talked about doing a close read. You talked about writing a oh, sonnet. Weird. Was that really last yeah, week? I think we did. Well, I did not write a sonnet. I don't know why I would have been talking about writing a sonnet. Well, it was one of the things that drifted through our conversation. Interesting. Like a well, haunting refrain. <laughs> we're back to we're back on that <laughs> refrain again. You might be asking yourself, why are we back on that refrain already? I it turns out I actually just do love poetry though so it's really fun to have a reason to stop read it talk about it write it I think I would say this I know that this should go without saying but I still feel obligated to say it is I really love poetry but only on the condition that it's good because the thing is is no I love I just love to go wallow in the hallmark cards is that like 
there's a lot of schlocky poetry out there and there's a lot of stupid modern poetry that isn't really poetry. There's a lot of people who dribble out random emotions <laughs> onto a page and call it poetry. And I dislike those with a real deep passion. But then when you hit like actual good poetry, I think it's just fantastically, almost fantastically rare. You it's know? sort of like the difference. It is a way of saying, I love food. And you're yeah. like, ooh, but cheese puffs? Why are those big fake barrels of cheese balls? Why would you like that? I'm like, well, I, I don't. I you just don't like meant, those. I'm talking about in the world it's of like, French restaurants, I, I'm I enjoy say, myself. I'm trying to say, Rachel, that you don't just like all poetry. You're a bit of a connoisseur. No, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm still... Well, sure. That's a flattering way to put it. I'm a connoisseur, but I still have so much... That needs to be learned about it. That that's what's fun about it. Is it's just gives you a. That's what my poem was I think, about. I think that I actually it was about have... a murmuration of starlings. Is what my mm. poem I wrote was about. Yeah, we're watching a nice little gathering of pigeons at the moment. I think that the, the thing is, is, I think, poetry that is not good is one of my big peeves in life, which is kind of like when somebody doesn't pull their socks all the way up and it's dribbling off the end of their toe and I just can't even cope. <laughs> You're not doing that. Are you doing that? No, but I just thought if we're oh. going to talk about people not pulling their socks all the way no, up. No, no, no. It's like when somebody has a floppy sock that's like half twisted around their foot so the dirty part's kind of half up and it's like drooping off the Becca, end of their foot. Becca thinks of this as a real crisis in life because it is. her own husband Ben would do this just to just thwart to, her. Just to put just me Just to off. get her in a big to... fizzle he would wear his <laughs> socks all twisted off the end of his foot in that horrible... Yeah, and just kind of waggles his foot so that it sort of droops around. <laughs> I cannot with that. It is so hideous. So anyway, I'm just saying that it's not like I have a mediocre feeling about that. I feel strongly about it. And poetry that is self-serious or nonsensical or ridiculous I just it's like that to me it's it's like it's so annoying that I can't with it so that's my feeling about poetry yeah well it's not like it's neither here nor there for me (laughs) (laughs) Becca either loves it or she can't even yeah right that's how it is that's really how it is I like I like some of the ones that we've talked about in class, I do enjoy how the kind that sneak up on you more, like where yeah. you don't actually understand it totally at first. Yep. So you're not like, oh, yeah. you're not like wowed by it right. the first time. But then the more that you, the yeah. more that you dig into it, the more you start being like, totally. whoa, until then you feel like this is otherworldly in mm-hmm. its level Hopkins of does that. craft. I think though that, that like sometimes there's, there's, Things like Hopkins or John Donne, where the more you dig in, the more amazed you are at how much craft there is. I always tell my students, I feel like a good poem should be like Mary Poppins' bag, where it's mm-hmm. like totally. more just keeps coming out of it. Yeah. But then you've got these weird sort of gestures at poems like that, where you can just keep putting more stuff into it because it's so vague that you can just import as much as you want into the poem instead and then you're of... Like, Instead yeah. of truly unpacking well, it like, out I don't, of... I don't know that the actual poet thought of that. 
No, and, and the thing is, is students easily confuse those two, you know? And, and things that you can put into a poem because it is mm-hmm. obtuse is very different than things you can legitimately get out of the poem because it's that dense. And deep is not the same thing as inscrutable. So, yeah, I don't right. know. That's what we decided to do today for the podcast <laughs> was sort of Becca have a poetry rant, rant. A, yeah. a poetic mm-hmm. word that she wants to drop on us. <laughs> well, as long as you're saying I love poetry, I'm just going to come in with a little I hate a lot of poetry. But, you know. I think I meant it. I know. I meant it as a, in the field of poetry, I am actually very interested in what I do like or what I don't like. Like, meaning, it's like saying I love art. I'm not saying I'm a connoisseur of weird modern performance art. I'm saying I actually love the subject matter of art. And actually what's really interesting with that, and that that pulls in quite nicely with lots of themes, but is that the, that those weird new modern things in every field, crazy weird, uh, architecture, ugly, nasty, modern art. Um, those things are actually, they don't exist as part of the genre. They exist in conflict to established, Like, things that everyone unanimously admired and loved. It's like a bad cyst coming off the side. Yeah, but it's funny because it's actually, like, that's the one thing oftentimes that can't be harmonized with the rest. Like, like you could have a lot of different kinds of voices and a lot of different styles of painting where the artists would truly admire one another's work. Even though they are in very different schools, different eras, mm-hmm. different, but mm-hmm. they would have enjoyed each other's work. Yeah. And then you have the people who come in with a, I'm going to swing a paint can with a hole in it over this randomly and, you know, like yeah. performance painting yeah, weird yeah, stuff. No. Jackson That's Pollock just like and you Michelangelo. Haven't, you haven't actually done the same thing. They You're not on the same. They would to talk about. But weirdly, that kind of applies to, it kind of applies with... Um, with like any kind of writing or biblical study or understanding is yeah. the people who like their entire premise is to tear down all the things that have ever been understood or ever. Mm-hmm. And all they yeah. want to do is tear it down to do something new and more startling and more uglier. Well, deconstruction is a whole it's a, genre uh, or, um, oh, what is it in that brutalism in oh, architecture? Man. Like, just or worse than brutalism. Hark upon no. that name. Worse than brutalism is blobitecture. Yeah, blobitecture. Well, is it worse than brutalism? Yeah. I don't think so. Yes, it is. I think they 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 are tied for well, the worst. Well, yes. Brutalism is like yes, look but, at this concrete bucket that we did. Yeah, but blobitecture is like look at this horrible like tentacle amoeba object that is but even in but blob texture at least has at least it tried to be a shape i don't know Mm. brutalism is all about hopelessness incarnate in a in a um i think i think what we had is brutalism is hopelessness incarnate and then it had nasty little babies which is (laughs) so true (laughs) so true because you're like i we can't this isn't it guys this isn't it like what are we doing? And the, the millions sort of, of dollars to build mm-hmm. 
the most obnoxious sort of obscene gestures of buildings. <laughs> it's like it's like the embracing of ugliness is so, so wicked. It's real. so wicked. Even when it's petty. I feel like that's the thing in that hideous strength where they're putting Mark in the objectivity room or the objective room, is that what uh-huh. it's called? And there's just a lot of layers. When you start thinking about that, speaking yeah. of speaking of Mary Poppins bag, that even yeah, more comes oh out word, of it. So because good. they're trying to train Mark in in being objective, which is to say everything is subjective. There's no such thing as beauty. Yeah. And that's called objectivity as a you know, like yeah. it's very interesting. But but everything in that room was just a little off. A little off. The point of the arch wasn't right in of, the middle. And a lot of wickedness. It's it just, was just... Mm, it was a badly proportioned... Like, aren't there beetles in the Lord's Supper or something? There's the Lord's Supper painting with beetles under the table. And there's a painting of a woman with her mouth wide open. And inside her mouth, it's all covered in hair. And then there's yeah. like... Yeah, yeah, But oh. it's just sort of like the um, proportions of the room are just uncomfortable. It's Off. too tall. And then he says that the thing that felt the most wicked out of everything they're making him do. And there's a lot of petty obscenity and things, but the thing that felt the most perverse to Mark was there were all these little shiny dots on the ceiling and he was made to climb a ladder and touch one of the dots. You know, it's like, I think Mm -hmm. Lewis just really put his finger on this like decision to embrace the ugly and the uncomfortable. Right. And then to just insist that that's what reality is like is, just you know it's horrible heinous everything in reality is ugly mm-hmm. sad depressing socks coming off the end of your foot twisted upside down <laughs> this just I reminds think- me of the great i just want to know you know there was a little flash bang effort to get a stirrup pant back you know like a couple years ago they were Did like, we go for stirrups? They were selling a few stirrup pants. Did they? And I just wanted to like take note of how it didn't it it couldn't no, even no. serve as a revival. No. Do you know what? Jemima showed me the funniest TikTok video that was it was um millennials just waiting for Gen Gen Z to learn this lesson. And then it's all these pictures of the big boot cut jeans in the winter being soaked yes, like eight, yes. eight inches of wet. Yes. And it's just like when when the I, flare reached I'm the actually pavement. troubled by this. This sometimes fashion is difficult for me. Here's where I I feel troubled. When it was time for us to wear skinny jeans. <laughs> When that time happened, it felt really weird. Like, and it was yeah. a really but weird... We came to grips with it. It was a weird, I'm disoriented with what you do about your socks and your shoes mm-hmm. when you're wearing a skinny mm-hmm. jean. Yeah. But then we got used to the shoes that work with the skinny jeans. So you could wear your flats or you could yeah. wear your yeah. booty or whatever. Yeah. With your skinny jean. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, I don't know that I can go back now to having excess fabric around my ankles. Well, especially since that does kind of require almost that you get into Doc Martens again. Almost. <laughs> and then, and not just the Doc Martens, but like I would wear, I feel like I wore heeled boots or things on the ins, like where they yeah. were under the yeah. ankle foot yeah, of your yeah. jean. Mm-hmm. So then you would have the problem of you could walk across a parking lot that was wet. Yeah. End up with some wet on the bottom of your pants, 
And then when you go inside, you take your shoes off and yes. you're standing on a damp hem. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. This is, and, this is like, the very lesson. That I can't go back to that. That. You're a millennial. I've learned you're, I can live without that. Yeah. You're waiting for yeah. Gen Z to so, learn the hard way. So this is the problem. I think I'm just, I think I just might have to say we're not going past skinny, skinny jeans. jeans. You're just like, going to be. Do it. I have to be like, listen, guys, I'm 40. This yeah. is the pant that yeah. works. Yeah. But my new problem in life is how hard it is to find a jean that actually goes all the way to your ankle. My word, are I've they always all... had that problem? Yeah, yeah. Well, but I've I always mean, had that they're problem. They're doing it way more on purpose now, like the short but see, jeans. That's why my life has gotten endlessly easier over the last few years because I didn't have to find the extra. Well, ball. it's way hard if it's a high water and it is also flare. Because well, it's then impossible. you're really dealing with the problem. That's impossible. Then you're and and with that's why that can't there was, be fixed. There was a lot of difficult shopping time for me because I would have to find extra long whatever, and that's difficult because not like lots of brands don't even make it. So then you have to figure out where to buy extra long. You hone in on the one thing and, you can, and the fact that we all got into like ankle length things for a while just really cleared up cleared the air for me but yeah. now but mm. see I remember the first skinny jeans thinking oh my word this makes you look so weird well, so because, disproportionate you're not used to seeing you know, any of it when we were in the 90s we were making Which fun is, of the 80s and we were wearing so. our low slung hip oh, riser word. pants with huge tube down to the leg <laughs> bottom and it, we really just <laughs> lost all perspective <laughs> we didn't know anymore and, and now we're wearing high-rise skinny yeah. leg pants, and you know that that's also weird. Oh, yeah. Like, we haven't yet honed in on what's the true, Rachel, what's the true and correct let's gene. let's bring back the house dress. Well, I am not going to lie. I think I am not made for a life of dresses. I would... A house dress, though. Even a house dress. I like a house dress, but I would look like... What would I look like wearing I know, if I had to, to wear say. dresses all the time? If I I would be happy to go back to the the 30s and 40s looks if I could look like that. If I had I a house a, dress in the No, in, I know. I yeah. try, I'm moving on from oh. the classic house dress. Cuz then you could just wear curlers all day too and Yeah, would, and then I'd be yeah, set. Right. Cold cream on my face. <laughs> And I'm gonna have to do actually, my makeup. I just I slap on some cold cream. Pitched an idea, and it was some. It was basically a resurgence of the house dress, but it was made uh, of this like kind of silk fabrics that were like big crazy prints, but they have big pockets. I didn't buy them, but I'm just saying it's out there, Rage. Out yeah. There. I don't think that answers my particular concerns, no, though. No. I, I'm not looking for a house dress as much. Mm. But it would get us out of the question about the ankles of our pants. Yeah, but then it would bring with it. What do you do? Slap on a snow boot with that? <laughs> I mean, you'd you'd be back at other quandaries. You'd be like, there's no answer. There's no answer. You have to have a pant no. on. You'd probably yeah. have to put a jean on under your house dress mm-hmm. just to kind of mm-hmm. get you through the winter. Well, I think we just need to go back to I think what the we need to do board. is go back to podcasting about something anyone might want to hear. <laughs> We've uh, lost the plot. Oh, uh, well, I don't know that we ever got the plot at the beginning. There is because, no plot. Okay, no. hold on. I'm going to look it up because I did... I did save someone's, um, I did save this. Okay. 
I have something I thought of as well. So we, we actually have fodder for an actual discussion. Okay. Hi, Rachel. I listen to what have you, and I'm super wanting to understand more about being wise and choosing friends, but also being relational with evangelism. What you guys talked about really struck a chord with me. I have been taught in a previous ministry job I had for many years that evangelism really needs to be highly relational. But like you guys talked about in the podcast, it always ended up making for a weird relationship if the person actually wasn't open to the gospel. Also, I thought of Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Are you familiar? She talks about radical hospitality towards unbelievers. I really don't know how to do that while also being wise. Sorry for the long message. Would love to hear more about this. I think one random hot take I'm having is that I think people forget Paul's analogy of the parts of the body and what works for one person, like, is a really phenomenal and effective well, like, thing. I think we would say that Rosaria is doing the Lord's work the way Rosaria was called yeah, to be doing Yeah, but then it. it's like one person is effective, so then we absolutize it and we say that's what every Christian has to do. Because honestly... Not every Christian is necessarily even called to evangelism as a prime. I mean, like, we should all be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us and so forth. And, of course, we should be a light we on a hill. We should all be living evangelistically. Living which evangelistically, is, yeah. which is not the same thing as if you're Being not. an evangelist. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I think that we also have to have sort of a bigger view of what God uses because... Um, we should be faithful where we are and obedient where we are and trust that God uses the light that is the city on the hill to attract attention of unbelievers. And that doesn't always have to look like you handing out totally. gospel tracts on the corner at farmer's market. Some people, they're called to that, but not everyone is. And right. so, and some people probably can have hugely effective ministries by doing relational evangelism but that actually doesn't mean that every our our grandpa jim has been very evangelistic very much a personal evangelist that's what he has done his whole life pretty much since since being a christian um so we're familiar with the world of personal evangelism and one of the things that he says which is unbelievably accurate is that you have to love the person you're talking to. Now, what he says, which is totally true, is I think, like, what this woman asking the question is talking about, is having been taught that 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 it's like a it's like a warping of that reality to say that you have to have a long drawn out personal relationship with this person to be loving them yeah that loving them is only calling them on their birthday having them over talking to them all the time wanting to hang out with them all the time and it's a thousand percent true that that makes for an incredibly awkward time if they're not open to the gospel because now what are you doing like now you're just falling all over yourself to mm-hmm. be around someone who does not love the Lord and you're not. Well, and if you have this, this um, sort of pre-commitment to the relationship matters at all costs, then when the gospel gets in the way of the relationship, it's what are like you gonna do? we should tuck away the gospel for now because I'm worried that it's going to threaten the relationship. And right. the relationship is apparently the thing that really matters. 
Right. Where it actually is, that where, can get you into a where weird loving, jam. If you genuinely love the person, that is completely harmonious with, with presenting the gospel to them, telling them that they're in sin, that they need God, that they're, you know, like it's yeah. loving them genuinely is not the same thing as having conformed to some ideal of friendship between yeah. the two of you. Right. And that I think that it's kind of a muddying of that because sometimes what happens, you, it's exactly what you were just saying. Someone does something really naturally and well. Mm-hmm. And instead of people realizing she does it that way because she is truly loving this person and that the trappings of that are actually way less important yeah. than, than the heart of it, which is that she cares about this person. Yeah. And so like Rosaria recommends in the gospel comes with the house key. It's a very different kind of, um, their household is very different than ours is yeah. the way that we live our life, the way our, the way that we try to use hospitality. Right, totally. Uh, but that I'm totally comfortable with the fact that that's how it works. Christians do things very differently yeah. because we are different parts of the body. So, but anytime someone's like, wow, this has been fruitful. Let me write for you all, all of the methods and the trappings of what you have to do exactly to love a person. Then you can be taking on something that is not actually, it's not true. It's not right. true to what I God think, has called so you to. I think that when people do say, here's how I do it. And they, and they walk through it's that. It's hugely helpful if you treat it as a resource of like, Okay, that's interesting. I'm gonna right. grab this. I'm gonna grab the other thing. But but you or can never... a lot of time it will it will like shed light on something that you realized was not a blind spot of yours, or you'll see something yeah. where you're like, oh, okay, like but, that's helpful. But the thing is, is even if we all could perfectly duplicate Rosaria, I don't know that that's what God needs is every single person to be Rosaria. He needs her to be her and he needs us obeying where we are and how we are with the people around us. And I think it's, this is an important, this is important. This is very easy for all of us to do this, which is that you can come to a conclusion that God has actually convicted you of for some reason that this is the thing that you have to do. And it can still not be the case for every other person. And it's, What's really easy is for people to say, I know that God called me to open my home freely to people. Like, I know that, that this is how, like, say, like Rosaria. And it's very easy to take that step into saying, therefore, he has demanded this of everyone. Well, and in one sense he has, because all Christians are commanded to be hospitable, but he has not said... But that was a bad example because I wasn't trying to just talk about hospitality. I meant anything where you could be like, I have total confidence because my husband told me that he wants me to do this thing. Then you can really be like, she's living outside the will of God because she's not doing this. Honestly, I think somebody could be living an amazingly obedient, hospitable life if they are, you know, taking the cupcakes to the, to the little soccer meetings, they could be living a hospitable life. If they're opening their home to all the sort of outcasts, they could Uh be being hospitable. If they're a sort of a country club lifestyle, inviting all the ladies over for luncheons. And, and the thing is it it is just going to look very different in each situation. Mm -hmm. And I, and I don't think that everybody's called to 
the same people in the same way. Right, and one of the things that's really beautiful about that is that we should all be inspired by other saints living faithfully around us and what they're doing. And we are meant to see the body in the way other people do things. We are meant to actually understand things more because we have brothers and sisters working in their own ways. So nothing, nothing about like, oh, this should just be you alone figuring it out. But on the other hand, it should be you alone figuring it out in the sense that you're walking before God with your resources in your place, Mm -hmm. with your obligations, with your husband, with your children, and that what things happen in your home should actually be directly led by God, by his word, by what you trying to faithfully follow him, not and, and I hasten to add, some of that will be imitating people who are showing you how to yes. do something. Yes. But it's not, the goal is not to like pick your, pick your Christian icon and do everything that they do. No. And I think that actually this is sort of ties in. This is sort of a good place to say this, I imagine, because my little soup night cookbook just yes. came available for pre-order like two days ago. I was ago. just kind of wondering why I don't and, have one yet. Yeah, because I haven't given it to you so yet. Slacker. I have one for you. But anyway, um, but I think that it would be like if somebody could take that and find three useful things in it and then use that in their own way, in their own life, whatever, that's fantastic. And I would never want anyone to think that my position is all Christian women have to host a soup night. Like that would be super Mm -hmm. weird. Mm -hmm. We have found this to be useful where we are standing at this particular phase of our life with Ben's job and my role in helping him with his job. Uh This works for me. And so if somebody can take bits of that and find it useful in their own lives and trying to serve God where they are, that's, exactly what I would want. But if anybody came away from it thinking, oh, Becca thinks everyone has to serve soup to huge crowds. Like, well, that's just weird. And I would never think that. So I think we should always be looking at other people's examples and trying to glean what we can and then totally turn it into something fantastic for you in your space. Yeah. And so, and we said this last, last time we podcasted about sit and actually think and reflect on what you like your own life. We were talking about Christmas, but like, don't just consume things, but sit and look at what you have to deal with and think about what you have and how could you share this. And something that I said recently about hospitality, which I think just comes back to the, just really the heart of the matter is that the foundation of all Christian hospitality is gratitude. Like, and that that cuts right through the massive comparison, like Mm -hmm. anxiety issues, because if you're being truly grateful to God for where he put you, what he's given you, who the people in your life are, how he's provided for you, what you actually have in your own hands that you could give and share, Mm -hmm. then that foundation of I'm going to have people in my home because I am overwhelmed with how thankful I am for what I have been given. That is a way better place to be than to be in the kind of place that's like, I'm trying to get a bunch of things so that I can have something to give like that person. Yeah, right, 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 right. Like where you're trying to motivate it totally. by envy or yeah. either your own or someone else. Cause you want them to envy you. Mm-hmm. 
I just think it is a really good thing to start with a full inventory of gratitude. And I'm not above telling you, get out the notebook and write down how glad you are to have running water. Well, I, this is weird. So this is parallel to this, but I saw this really, I felt like this was crazy. It was a lady who seemed very sweet. Like she seems like a genuinely sweet person trying to talk about how to be faithful. She's a pastor's wife. She's saying genuinely like live as a Christ follower kinds of stuff. But I saw this thing that she wrote about. It was about like why you should go on a diet or why you should get into fitness or something. And it was like, here's nine reasons or something. But it was like the first thing was how to motivate yourself was get mad. And then it was like, do you not like how your clothes fit? Get mad. Do you not like how you looked in the Christmas yeah. picture? Yeah. Do you like, do you not like how you looked in the Christmas picture? Get mad. No, you, yeah. no. Are you unhappy with whatever? Get mad. And oh. then use that to motivate yourself to whatever. And she said, you know, you could, anger can motivate you to just like sit down and eat Cheetos and watch movies, or you can use your anger to motivate you to get off the couch and go work out. And, but it was terrible. She had a list of like 15 things you should get mad about. And like, are you, are you not the same size as before your baby? Get Get mad. mad. I, I was, I was really blown away by that. You should be. And so the thing is, is like, I think that's a terrifyingly bad motivation, even if it got you the results that you wanted. And I think that's what you're saying is that like, are you being motivated by envy or a competitive spirit? Or even motivated by some kind of, here's a horrible thing I have to do that I don't want to do. That are I'm going to yeah. do it because God said I have to, but I don't want to do it. Are you motivated by guilt because you're the only woman not doing it and you feel like yeah. a loser? Are you motivated by envy because you want to be admired like that other woman? Or are you, you motivated want, uh, you by You want other people to want what you have. Right. right. Yeah. Are you motivated by vanity? Like if any of those things are at play, don't do it. Then it doesn't matter do it. what you what you come up with at the end of the day. You you have just offered up one. You know how one you know odd sacrifice. I was going to say you know all the emphasis in the Old Testament on you can't offer up the bad sacrifice. Like you know what? If you have to sacrifice something, let's make sure that it's the one that we couldn't get any use out of anyways. I mean, yeah. I know you the blind you the, or the your best or you do whatever. Your best, not all of the all the worst impulses of your heart are yeah. not what you're offering God. Yeah, and so I do think that there's there's um what you come up with at the end of the day does matter, but how you get there also matters. And so having, having your motivations be on point throughout. And so gratitude, yes. And obedience, yes. And willingness to sacrifice. Yes. But anger or envy or malice or competitiveness or, uh, you know, kill it. Kill it. It does not need to be part of this party. (laughs) It's a really, it is an interesting thing when people try to motivate themselves to, to something with just horrible. Uh And it, cause that's really, I have thought of this many times when dieting, which is that you want to know that you're doing it for all the right reasons. Yeah. And any, I just think it's really good for us always to look through our, look through our heart inventory because sometimes you're like, uh, I, I will tell you a secret though. This is, this is that, and I, and I don't think it's entirely 
uh, I don't think that this is apropos of nothing. The more godly your reasons for wanting to lose weight, the less prestigious your goal weight will be. (laughs) (laughs) Know what I'm saying? Like, like, why would you be like, if it's like, I would like to be healthy and capable and able to do the things that I want to be doing, want to be stewarding your body well, you want to be like... All of those things is it is not the same thing as wanting to blow people's minds at the class reunion. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's not. If you're like I want to be a faithful servant and a happy yeah. mother and I want to be providing for people well, and okay. like this goes right back to the distinction between being a consumer and a producer because are you wanting uh to be the recipient. Are you wanting of, to be the commodity that other people are sort of like, yeah. are you going to, do you want to be the recipient of uh, admiration or envy or lust or whatever? Or are you actually being motivated to, to give. give yourself, give yourself to your husband is very different than uh, raking in glances from <laughs> others. That's not the same. Now it's surprisingly a little bit different. And one of the things that I have found. And it's easy to say you want the one when you actually want the other. That's a little switcheroo. And I think one of the funniest things about it is that like for the most part, I don't think you want to be a good example of health to your children, but there's a lot of health that isn't your final weight. The health of like joy and gratitude and laughter and the, the life. Like I don't think... I can't imagine, like, most kids thinking about their mom, it is not, their dream mom is not a rock-hard <laughs> muscle of skin and bones who or, only comes through the kitchen to dole out the vitamins yeah. for people. I mean, like, yeah. like that is not what, I mean, or, it's just or funny. Or, think of this, does anyone dream of having a mom that the boys in their class want to hit on? Shh. I have en- I have encountered that. I, I have know. encountered it in a I've encountered in a it in the mom's man braggy boasting about how his son's friends all think his wife is super hot. Yeah. And yeah. I've encountered super it hot, in the wives. And the super yeah. hot mom herself was there <coughs> and one absorbed the situation as kind of like yeah, well, she is trolling for high school boys. Right. She is, this is not, this yeah. is not like, man, your mom is a lovely woman. No, this it's is, different. this friends. is my, but your mom looks available to high school boys. <laughs> and that is not a compliment. No. 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 That your mother would be willing to be. That's like being uh, on clearance at the dollar nope, store. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Like, Not the thing why that you would want. you want to no, be featured? Don't do it. Don't featured do it. with a half off sign at the dollar store. And drop. probably left outside at night anyways because <laughs> there's no hazard there. You know, like, we don't see the value oh, here is so low. Yeah. But yes, anyways, that was um but that's all of those sorts of motivations, like defiance of your age. Like, yeah. I want to look like I'm not as old as I am. Well, yeah. you are as old as you are, so <laughs> yeah. deal with that. I mean, that's kind of one of the real lessons, the isn't it? Like, I'm not ready to deal with how old my kids are. I don't want this. Yeah. I'm going to have a midlife crisis. Yeah. Anyways, the funny part is that the more you know that your motivations for 
weight loss or exercise are godly, the less they drive absurd action. The mm-hmm. more they drive sort of lifestyle choices over a long period right. of time, then they drive yeah. like the crash diet or the boot, you know, like. Sure. Yeah. But I'm, I have yeah, to go. You're about I'm to go. Be and class. anyway, guys, uh, Rachel's just ditching. She's leaving. I, I have to. So I'm going to have to get off the horn here. Yeah. And, it's been um, good to talk. It has with been you good. All. Is that my water bottle or your water um, bottle? It's mine, but you know, Rachel, you're welcome think, to it. I think I have it. one in my backpack. All right. Till next time. All right. Bye.